Hello and welcome to a new episode of Paratalk. And on this week, I have someone who's going to make you laugh. I have Kevin from We Should Talk About Ghosts. Kevin, are you there? I am. And um, no pressure, eh? We, we try <laughs> and make you laugh. It's, uh, we need to talk about ghosts as well. But, you know, never mind. We'll yeah. get there. We, we need to talk about ghosts. Um, my first uh, question is, before I race off and start filling your head with all this wild and wonderful paranormal talk, uh, mm. how did that happen? We need to talk about ghosts. Where did it come from? So, uh, uh, like yourself, because we just had a little chat before we started recording, yep. I'm, um, I'm a podcast fan initially. So, I would listen to everything that was out there going back about maybe 10 years. So, Jim Harold and stuff like that. And micka hanks and all of the paranormal stuff really just always been a big fan of that sort of genre and then um i was i got really deeply into a, a podcast called the parapod which you may know yes it's, um done by two comedians ian bolsworth and barry dodds and they just brought a film out well recently anyway yep and um and it was just dead funny it was like i'd suggest anyone goes and downloads it now it's still there on itunes and spotify and all that carry on and it's uh, it's just hysterical but it's done in a very good way it's done like a skeptic against believer and anyway uh they had a quite a short run because ian's like uh, I've, I've since got to know ian i've spoke to him a few times and interviewed him for my show and stuff he's just a very creative person in terms of he likes to look at a goal and a task and he'll see it through and then that it's dead no, it's not necessarily dead to him but he moves on and after they'd completed the film, he wasn't going to do any more podcasts. And I, there was a bit of a hole, really. We talked earlier about how hard it can be to find a, mm. a decent paranormal podcast. And also, you know, something I, I work in many flavors of podcasts. So sometimes I'm in the mood for like Howard Hughes, The Unexplained. Or like I've said, I, I listened to your previous incarnation of the show. Yeah. Um, you know, people who are just going to have a conversation about the paranormal other times. I want a, a bit of levity in there. I want a bit of humor in there. And other times I just want deadly serious scare me before I go to bed stories. But that sort of the attempted comedy, and I say attempted comedy on behalf of my show, but the kind of paranormal with a bit of a, we don't really care what we say. Let's be a bit stupid. But let's also contain some, some you know, listener scary ghost stories within there. That was missing when the Parapod went for me. There's a lot of American shows which try and, and do it, but I've got a very British sense of humor in terms of like, I, I you know, I watch Eddie Azard, Billy Connolly. They're my comedians. It's not like Kevin Hart or American comedians. And yeah. a lot of the American podcasts which attempted like paranormal humor, they were just a little bit too straight and a little bit too like, bro, but did you see that? Oh my God, the, the boobs on air sort of thing. <laughs> Um, and I was just like, oh, God, I'm not finding it funny. So I attempted a very irreverent sort of irreverent, even sort of off the cuff talk about what you want, but then interject some very serious ghost stories within. So started about four years ago and yeah, just, it's kind of gone, I'd say not necessarily strength to strength, but it's got me on a few other shows. I've been on Chris Jericho's show, um, three times. And from that, that got me, someone listened to that. So the next season of cursed films which is coming out on shudder um i'm doing a talking heads piece to camera for rosemary's baby on that so you know it's led to places as well which is nice and it's it's about meeting people like yourself do you know what i mean it's um yeah it, it's uh it's just a, it's a it's a nice hobby which touch wood will become something a little bit more serious going forward you touched on an interesting note there regarding the different types of shows that are out there 
-hmm. And you can have a show which is super serious, no music. It's just one person and a and a microphone and a podcaster that I interviewed a short while ago, uh, Clem from he does a podcast and it's ghost tales by the fireside and that's kind of what he does he produces all the music himself he does the you know all the, the effects himself and he tells a yeah. story it's only a short episode and he only does one once a month but he really captures his atmosphere and it really sort of pulls you into that radio show kind of style and yet yeah there are other podcasts out there which are more funnier more looser and they go all over the place uh, yeah. And they could be fun as well. But going to what you're saying about different shows and different styles, I think that it's good to have a lot of variety. But problem is that you don't want to cram too much of the wrong thing into a show yeah. that's not really working. Second part of my question is, when did you feel that you had the right kind of mix in your show for it to kind of move forward? Because obviously, when you start out with a show, when we started out with my late, my late colleague, Gareth, we... We had a show, we put it together, we did a few episodes, and it was like, is this going to work? And how does it feel? But it was a feel. And did you yeah. have the same thing? Did it feel right? It did, and then I lost it. I mean, so anyone who's going to try and check the show from listening to this now, they'll notice that it's, it looks like it's only 19 episodes long, and it's not. It's about 250 episodes long. It's been going for four years. To be perfectly honest, and this sounds like a very egotistical thing to say, it's not. It's based on who I am as a person and feedback that I've received. Right. I'm kind of, I'm allegedly funnier, better when giving quick or attempted quick rapports back to people, um, making comments on stuff. And when you're doing that on your own as a one person show, you kind of just have to do it based on the waffle that's coming out of your mouth. Yeah. Because you're only replying to yourself. So you need to get, get into a state of almost, delirium's the wrong word, but you need to get into a state where I don't know what I'm going to say next. And then when I say something, I can react to what I've said. Yeah. And it's a very bizarre state of mind. But that's how. It get it, it's so the show itself in terms of the fan base of the show it's marmite the the fans who are fans of the show love it you know we all know what we're talking about when i say certain jokes or references they know it because they've been listening for years they love the style of the show they love that it goes off the cuff there are other people quite rightly who will listen to it and go this isn't for me don't like it no structure but because i tend to waffle quite a bit last year towards the back end of the year around november i was on like maybe episode 212 and it lost all structure. So it just became, you didn't know when a story was coming. You didn't know when I was going to waffle for 20 minutes about the subject. And some people love that, but it became less and less about the paranormal and more about me. And it was getting a bit egocentrical. And I thought, you know what? This is not why I'm doing this. The show's called We Need to Talk About Ghosts, not We Need to Listen to Me Just Waffle On. So I paused it and bit by bit over the weeks, got rid of those past episodes and just gave it the structure it had at the start. So now I've, I know we've talked about sometimes overstructuring something can be a bit yeah. overkill, but it was required. I needed to hem myself in and I needed to make sure that I was staying true to what people were listening to the show for. You know, if you're looking at a show called We Need to Talk About Ghosts, there's, you know, it's quite nominative. You know what you're going to expect if you download it. So I had to make sure it was structured in a certain way. So even now it's, just, it's t difficult to stick to that structure because there's certain things where I'm thinking, oh, I've got a good... Something just coming to me. I could talk about five minutes and definitely get a few laps off this. And I've got to just think, no, it's not, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not important. It's not what the show's meant to be about. So 
So yeah, it took it took quite a while. So it's only uh, in answer to your question. Sorry for waffling, but um, in answer to your question, it, it's literally only the last six months. I feel like I finally got it under control. Really, when you are doing a one man show, and of course, that's what Paratalk is now. Predominantly, it's me doing an episode. That's why I'm getting more people involved and having more guests on because it's a more. Yeah. I like the dynamic. But you, when you're doing a single show, talking about paranormal ufos you're relating a story and you're doing it in a more free-flowing format you have to kind of think ahead all the time you're thinking ahead what what am i saying next where's that going to take me is how many routes have i got off of that so i understand where you're going and and it and it can be it can come back and when you listen back to it you think think about you you think to yourself all i've done for 20 minutes is talk about myself yeah, and it's, yeah, exactly. You don't yeah. intentionally do it, but you're pulling from yourself. You know, you're thinking, "I need to talk about this. How can I?" And and it, and you you listen back and you think, "I'm just talking about me." So it's yeah, it's, it's a trap you can fall into. I've fallen into that trap before as well. So it's it's easily done. Yeah, it is easily done. I think the the, the one thing that I do do, which I still stick by, which I've done since the start, is and sometimes don't get me wrong, it's tripped me up as you can imagine, but. When someone st- sends in a, a story for me to read out, I don't pre-read it. And the reason for that is because I want my reaction at the end to be a genuine one. So if there's something as I'm reading it out that I think, God, that's really eerie how they've described that, or that's, you know, mm. that's terrifying, or I don't understand what that part meant. I can have all that. I, I can save that up as I'm reading it out live, live, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and say that as genuine, like visceral, emotive questions at the end of the story, as opposed to me pre-reading it, me editing it, me then sitting there and then acting like it's the first time I've heard it. But obviously it has caught me out a few times, especially when either people haven't sent it in in the, in the perfect grammar or uh, it's just not been a very good story. Sometimes I've wasted six minutes reading a story out and thought, I'm not even bothering with that. My next question is, although it's the, the show is kind of primarily you, it's not only you, is it? No, I get me part. I mean, literally, it was against her will at the very start. But I get me partner Becca on. Um, she's got no interest in podcasts. She doesn't listen to podcasts. She's a complete skeptic. She's a very rational person. She's an atheist. She's got. Uh, she's you know at the same time she's open to. She uses this this quote all the time, which is by some famous author or famous philosopher, which is something along the lines of. I believe in magic, but I can state no case of it, of ever seeing it or something similar like that. Okay. And that's the quote that she uses. So she basically means she's never seen anything that would convince her that something is there, be that in religion, be that in spiritualness or the occult or paranormal or anything like this. So I now, it used to be, I'd just get it on and we'd do a show together and we'd have her opinion and then we'd ramble. And going back to what I was saying before, we got to the point when we were furloughed and stuff where we started to do shows called We Don't Need to Talk About Ghosts, where me and her would just talk about everyday stuff. Now, with it being a bit more structured, as I said earlier, I've now given her her own segment at the end of the show called Becca's Paranormal Reddit Corner, where I'll literally find a, a story that's been on Reddit in the last 24 hours. I'll hand her my phone with her on. I'll chase her to wherever she is in the house doing something that she, you know, that's why when the show gets to that point, there's a change in audio quality and it's because I've chased her down with a handheld recorder because she's got no interest in doing it. She's very polite <laughs> when she's on the show and I'll say, read that, tell me what you think about it. And, and we'll do that at the end of the show. But we always disagree because 
she just doesn't believe in the paranormal so sometimes it's good to have those two different aspects where someone is like well you know i don't know i don't care i'm not interested yeah on the the other side someone wants to read more about it sometimes that's good because you can find a a common middle ground where you both can sort of work around i mean i i would say when it comes to the paranormal i've had a number of experiences which Mm. i can't explain i i'm not going to say that it was my dead grandma that came back to give me a message a cryptic clue about something i don't know but yeah i did experience something and you have to go into a place with an open mind but you also have to go into a place with a a little bit of skepticism and saying i can be tricked i can misidentify something so yeah i think that sometimes that's that's a good thing okay so we, we've established your podcast and how it came about but what was the motivation i mean we go back to our early years i think that when you're a, a young child well i'm no, not a young child but i mean a, a young whippersnapper yeah you know uh, you kind of get a little bit sort of you know things like ghosts and scary stuff I mean, come on, let's be honest with you. When I was at school, it was, mates would come in and go, do you know that house? It's a man that lives in there and he killed himself and he's a ghost in there. And you'd all go up there and and try to get into it and think, that's what young kids do. And I think that, did you have a similar thing? Is that kind of what got you started, you know, with TV and that? Did that get you you an interest in the paranormal? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was the, um, I can't remember, the earliest thing I remember reading was the uh, the Usborne series of books. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, ghosts, yep. UFOs, monsters, yep. um, those three books, really. The the, the library uh, in Heighton, where I'm from in Liverpool, they had a very small paranormal section in the kids' part before I could have an adult's card. There were the three books that they had. So I remember starting to go, well, I remember being an infant. So we were on the, I remember being on the infant's playground and starting, so I don't know what age that is now, maybe six or younger, seven? Uh, six or seven, I think. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. And starting at, um, it does, yeah. It's like years, they're all yeah. Americanized now, aren't they? It's high school and all this carrier. But anyway, and starting a ghost club in the playground against this giant stone that was in the corner of the playground. And I had convinced everyone that behind this giant stone was a walkway. Behind, And in that, if you follow that walkway to the end, you'd see a night, uh, a ghostly night. And I was like, put your ear to the stone. You can hear footsteps and convinced everyone. They could. And we all believed we could at the time. I mean, in reality now, I, I sometimes go and pick my nephew up from the same playground yeah. now. And um, it just packs onto some woman's house. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's no, and there's no medieval history in Heighton as far as I'm aware. But yeah, it's, so I think then, and also my mother was, very, like my mother passed away when I was 16. And she was always out of the family, like my immediate family. There was only me and her who really had an interest in the paranormal. She was, mm-hmm. you know, she was, she had many a ghost story, like where she'd seen, um, she'd seen a silhouette of a dad, for example. She'd had a premonition of his death, um, premonition of someone breaking in, which came true. Uh, she'd seen the, the, the ghost of a mother in a shoe shop. She'd, uh, she'd apparently like her face had changed into the face of her dead mother at some wedding or something. So much so that me auntie slapped her. Um, because she said your face has just changed it. So she had a lot of things like sort of spiritual things going on. And I kind of just carried, like me and her always talked about it and tried little psychic experiments like psychometry and stuff. And, and, uh, and yes, yeah, so I think I just carried on from her really. Interesting that you, um, bring that up about people's faces changing. Uh, my Leanne, who I do a episode with once a month, she mm. w- was on a ghost hunt. 
she'd been on a number of ghost hunts. She was on a ghost hunt and uh, they were doing a seance around a table in this alleged like building that had stuff going on. And mm. she witnessed um, one of the members of the, I think it was a friend or a member of the team, Leanne and another friend of hers, they witnessed this person's face literally changing, like completely changing in front of their, you know, in front of their eyes. And it yeah. scared, scared the hell out of her. Very, very scared. I mean, I wouldn't want to witness that. I mean, no, I wouldn't want to witness I, that. No, I've been in places and experienced things, but nothing to that extreme. I think in my mother, in my mother's situation as well, it was a very interesting story. I, th- I think it was a wedding they were at. She was sat next to my auntie, who is who was older than my mum. My mother's mother died when my mum was like two, I think. So she never really knew what she looked like. Well, they had photos and that, but you know, she didn't meet her. Yeah. And they were sat next to each other in a church at a wedding or something. So there was no spooky conversations. It wasn't like we were doing the Ouija board and then. Yeah. Um, they were just sat next to each other in church at a wedding or something. My auntie turned to, to say something to my mother. My mother turned to look at her. And my auntie just slapped her because she was that terrified. She said, you just literally, that wasn't you. That was me. You turned into my mother. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they both stood by it, to, you know, till the day they died, literally. Moving on from your mum's experiences... Have you ever had any strange experiences with, with regards to the, the paranormal ghosts? Anything strange that you think that's a bit odd? Yeah, uh, mine's not necessarily in terms of in terms of witnessing. So, I mean, one involves me mother really, kind of. So, like I was touching on earlier, psychometry experiments. Yeah. You know, the, the reading of jewelry and stuff. You'll remember this, Reeves, because uh, you know we're not too dissimilar in age. But there used to be a magazine supplement occasionally in the news of the world on a Sunday that was Mystic Meg's um, thing within one of them when I was about must have been about 13 so going back Christ God knows how many years 30 odd years there was a psychometry part here's how you do it grab a piece of jewelry hold it between these fingers close your mind all this carry on close your eyes open your mind all this and my mum gave me her wedding ring and I'd done it and anyway long story short she was like blown away she was like you've just told you just described where i was on the morning of my wedding you described the room which way it was facing where this mirror was who was with me what my dress was like color of the walls and it was brilliant i was like oh so i might be able to do psychometry then so then at parties and stuff around the age of like 14 to say 17 somebody could pass me a piece of jewelry and i with some accuracy would be able to turn around and say normally it sounds stupid to say but i'd say i'll tell you what your carpet's like on your stairs and I'd be like, very accurate, like yours is red, it's in this pattern, it's this, it's that, the other. Oh, you've got laminate, you know, stuff like this. And did it for a bit of a laugh. And then my mum passed away and I used to go and talk to a woman who ran an off license at the bottom of the road, mainly because she would sell me vodka at age 17. And nice. um, yeah, and I'd bunk off A-levels and go there, get a bottle of Sunny Delights, caught a bottle of vodka, and that would be my day. And you could smoke in shops back then as well. Yep. So I'd just hang out down there with this lady. And anyway, one day we got to talking about it. And I said, oh, yeah, I can do this. Do you want to know what you, uh, I said, I can do this thing. I'll tell you what your colour your stairs are. And she went, oh, would you mind reading something for me? She went, um, she went, she said, it's a watch. I went, yeah, go on. So she goes and gets this watch from the back. And she says, uh, the one thing I will tell you, she said, it, it always runs slow, this. She said, it runs five minutes slow. And if it speeds up to 10 minutes faster, it'll still end up five minutes slow. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Go on. Now, normally when someone would pass me a piece of jewellery, and I say would because it's a lot. I can't do this anymore. Can't yeah. do it. And I never tried it again for about twenty, well, about ten years after this. Normally, when somebody would pass me a piece of jewelry or something, I'd close my eyes, and the way I'd see it would be like a series of coloured images 
not like photographs, but similar, like from a third person perspective, just that would. So sort kind of, of like a mind's eye sort of. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Kind of like, um, like uh, best way, I suppose, you know, them things, them kids toys where you'd put like, they were like binoculars, but you put them to your eyes and there was pictures in them and you press the next one and it slide across. Yeah. 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 Like that. That's how it was, but a fuzzier version of that. But anyway, and I'd say, I'd just say verbatim, like what I was seeing, you know, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be like, okay, uh, green hedge, red car. And then they'd piece it together. But when she passed me this watch, first thing it was, it felt icy cold. Secondly, the images were black and white and they were sharp and jagged and quick. It had never, I'd done it ever since I'd done it that first day with my mum. It had never been like that where it made me feel physically sick. But I'm, this meant nothing to me. So I'm saying to her as it's happening, I said, oh, this is weird. And I'm describing this to her. And I'm saying everything what I've just said to you there. And I'm saying, normally it's coloured images. I said that they're quite slow that, you know, I said, but this is like sharp, jaggedy. I said, and the next thing that I've seen anyway, in my mind's eye is that I'm in my dad's, me in my dad's, I'm in my dad's house, okay. stood in the hall with the flex from a Hoover and I'm looking up at the banister and then, and it's, this is happening that quick. Literally, as I'm saying it to you, this is how I'm saying it to her. I said, and then I'm now stood in a clearing, like a forested clearing and I can see a bus stop through the trees and be over the road from this is a dual carriageway and over the road from the dual carriageway, there's a big long building and it's got like pillars in the building and it's red brick. I said, and I just feel panicked and horrible and sick. I said, and this watch is making me feel physically sick. Anyway, when it, I then open my eyes and say, and that's everything I can get. And I pass it back and she's crying. Again, long story short, it turns out that this was her brother's watch and her brother hung himself from a tree in a clearing opposite a dual carriageway behind a bus stop, directly in front of the old newspaper factory in Kirby, which is just a village just down from where I lived. And he done it with a hoover, the flex of a hoover that he apparently came across in the woods. Uh, or they think it was a hoover, flex, an electrical flex. Yeah. And yeah, and when she was telling me, I, I just went cold. Like I, I always get a shiver when I remember it because it was horrible. It was absolutely a horrible experience. I was just very apologetic. We didn't know what to say. And... I kind of just apologized and left, but it bothered me. It really bothered me. And I didn't attempt it since. Um, funny enough in me saying this on a, a recent, might've even been like, cause I had, this isn't a plug in any way, shape or form, yeah. but it was on a Patreon episode that I'd done recently with Becca, my partner. She suggested that I try it with her and I hadn't tried, I haven't tried it since I was 17 and 42. So I said, go on, go and get your stuff. And we tried it. Oh, and on one of the things I was like, okay, keep seeing hedges. Um, a big dog and the word hedges and passed her it back. And she said, okay. Uh, she said, my granddad had a dog called Benson and it was called Benson after Benson and hedges cigarettes. <laughs> and I was like laughing for ages and going, okay, but that's the last time I tried it since. But yeah, that's the first one. I, I, I know I'm just banging on now, but that's the, that's the first one where I thought there's something there that I can't explain. And I'm kind of a rational guy, although believe in all this, I'm kind of rational with it. So the second one, sorry, go on. I was going to just, just to jump in there. It's, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort of process all this because that's just totally fascinating. All of those events that you told me that even if you would put them together and say, well, it kind of is coincidence. There's too many things there to say that, yeah, that possibly it's, it's some sort of random you're imagining it. I think that, yeah. um, I think that, personal objects well, I, the question i wanted to ask regarding a personal object is when he committed suicide was he wearing the watch no idea i did I, to be honest i didn't ask it was literally what i've said to you there is 
is the version that I tell to everyone because it's all they remember. Yeah. Knowing who I am as a person, I don't think I would have pressed too much on questions about it. It would have been more of a, God, I'm really sorry. How can I get out of this situation sort of thing? Fascinating. Um, so I don't think I would have, I would have, I would have pressed it for any more detail on it. And you're, you have another experience? Yeah, the other one, again, just on the basis of the question, something paranormal, where which you just think, that's different, can't explain it. A mate of mine who's a tarmacker, was tarmacking in Wales, and he was doing this big old house, which was, uh, this sounds like it's going to be about the house, it's not, which was kind of empty, and he was doing a drive anyway. Within the house, it was all cleared out, but there was a book in one of the bookcases um, about astral projection. He rung me up and said, you're into weird stuff, aren't you? And I was about a similar age, actually, I think it was about 17. And I said, yeah. He said, there's a book here on astral projection. Do you want it? I'll bring it up. I said, yeah, go on then. So he brought it to the house and it was a Llewellyn Press astral projection book. Read through the the front page where it's got a list of the chapters. And one of the chapters just said how to do it. And I was like, fair enough, I'll jump to that then. I'll ignore every other page. I'll just go right to So to you just it. skip past all the warnings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just go straight yeah. to leaving the body. Yeah, exactly, okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> So it says, uh, the, the method it said, there was loads of methods it suggested, but the one that I went with was it was like, it said, look at, at a clock, close your eyes, visualize the clock as it ticks, open your eyes, make sure it's where you think it is, repeat this until you've got it in sync, and then close your eyes for longer periods until you visualize it correctly. So anyway, I, th I thought, I haven't got a clock. I'm just going to lie on my top bunk bed in a room that I shared with my brother, albeit at 17 bunk beds. But anyway, and I was on the top bunk and I'm staring at the Artex ceiling and I was thought, I'll just visualize that. I close my eyes. I'll open it. And I, I was doing it like that. And I had Sergeant Pepper album on repeat, middle of the afternoon. And uh, anyway, I fell asleep. And then my dad came into the room and went basically, oh, you lazy get, get up out of bed. You know, it's three in the afternoon. Why yeah. don't you try and get a job sort of thing? Yeah. Um, Pay some rent. Pay some rent. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I remember turning my head and saying to my dad, all right, I'll come down now. And like, as in like, get out, basically. Mm. And he just tutted and walked away. And I, I tutted back to him, closed my eyes and put my head on the pillow. And like that, in an instant, I was sat up in the bed. And I, I, I had long enough to think, am I sat up? I don't remember moving. And getting the sense of the color green. I know that sounds stupid. The sense of the color green, or to describe it better, like when you press the face on a calculator and it goes like oil in the road. I felt like that color. That's the best way I could describe it. I know it sounds stupid. And Not then as I thought, as I thought, I thought I can still feel me back on the mattress. And then again, like that, like within a second, I was lying back on the mattress. I couldn't move any part of my body. And I slowly got pins and needles all over my body, the weirdest experience, moving very slowly, like the sensation was coming back to my body. I climbed down the bunk bed, ran downstairs and said, I've just come out my body. My dad doesn't believe in anything like this. So he was just looking at me embarrassed because he had company. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that again, genuinely happened. Never been able to do it since. And it happened when I didn't expect it to happen. So it freaked me out. I don't think I slept for like three nights because every time I felt like I was about to drop off, I jumped. I thought, is it happening now? But yeah, genuinely happened. To this day, can't explain it. I have something similar to relay to you. And I have told this story before, so I'm going to cut it down a little bit because the listeners will be going, oh, he's going to go on one again. Here we go. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I used to sleepwalk to the mm. point where my mum would take me to the doctors because she thought I was something going on in my head. And I would have night terrors and stuff. What it was, I don't know. But one of the aspects of me having disturbed nights was I would 
I would sleepwalk and mm. I would have the feeling of moving. So being aware that I was moving, but not in control of my body, I would feel that I was surrounded in a, a bubble of colors, all different colors around me. But one of the main aspects of it, when I knew it was going to happen, is I started to hear a clock ticking and the clock would get louder and louder. And then I would be aware that I was in motion, but not actually physically walking about. No, I wouldn't be aware that I'd got out of bed. I'd just be somewhere in the house and it, I would have all these colors in my vision. Yeah. And then it, it would all just go like blank. Wow. And my mum would, she would hear me moving around the house and she would get up and I would be downstairs looking through the kitchen drawers uh, and yeah. she would call my name and I would turn around and walk back upstairs. I'm, I'm not, I'm not awake. I'm asleep, but, yeah, yeah. but I'm awake. I'm, I'm awake. I'm asleep, but I'm awake, but I'm asleep. Yeah. Was I experiencing my own sleepwalking? stroke paralysis by being conscious of it conscious or was it some other mental thing that was going on part of a night because i used to have these night terrors where i'd wake up in my room i never used to sleep with my curtains drawn and mm -hmm. the, i you know the, the light would come through the window and i had a quite a large room at the time i had a wardrobe in the corner of the room and at night i would wake up sometimes not every night i would wake up and i would look to the corner of the room and i would just see this black shape in the corner of the room like seven foot tall thing and it no wow. features just a like a, a a shape of a a figure and it was motionless in the corner of the room but the longer i looked at it the more terrified i became and i i wanted to shout or scream but i just could not move i couldn't move my body or anything and it got to a point where I didn't want to go to sleep and I would stay up yeah. or I'd ask my mum to leave the landing light on so that light would come in the room and illuminate my room because I felt that this was a kind of a, a safety net. And of course, yeah. as things went on it, and you get older, went to the doctors and they said it was stress because I'd had a major operation mm. a few months previous and it was just some form of stress. And of course, when you do go through stress and when anyone goes through stress and you, this is the next thing I'm going to ask you is, when you go through a stressful period in your life, I think the paranormal, you, you can experience what you would call paranormal phenomenon. I remember oh, yeah. having a slightly stressful time in the last 10 years where I was sleeping or I was napping on my bed and I woke and it was the only time that I'd experienced paralysis since being a child, experiencing it so intensely yeah. where I felt that there was someone with their knees in my back and I could feel hands around my wrist holding me Christ. down. Right. So I could feel that someone was leaning on me and I felt to myself, is I'm in I'm in some sort of paralysis. I need to relax. And as I acknowledged it and relaxed, it just faded away. Just faded and I was able to move. But it That's was really, really scary when it happened because it physically felt like a really massive bloke was kneeling on me, like pushing himself down on me or a person. Yeah. But it just massive hands, massive Hulk hands, you know. Um, wow. But yeah, so have you ever gone through, have you, uh, do you, can you, can you, do you sort of find a connection with stress and weirdness? 
You know what? I'll have to be honest and say, no, not personally, but I do believe it's a thing. Yeah. I do believe that uh, an emotive state, I should I say, doesn't have to just be stress. I think any sort of uh, emotional scram- scrambling, I think, can either, it, and I don't know, again, both just theorizing, but can either, one, make you more in tune to the paranormal because it kind of distorts, it shakes that, um, it shakes those walls of rationality that you build up as an adult that stop you from seeing things, I think. Or two, it could be that there are these sentient entities around that feed off that stress or that energy, and therefore that makes them more potent. So you, like, a, like a radio receiver getting a stronger signal, you become more aware of them, them or, or they become more aware of you. Yeah. I don't know. But I do think there's a link. Haunted houses. Uh, mm. I, I've been fortunate enough to be in a few, and I've been fortunate enough to had experiences have you ever been in a haunted house or would it be something that you would want to do in your paranormal adventure? Um, interestingly, I've been in a house which is purported to be haunted. We've done a ghost hunt in uh, the former Liverpool girls' school, which is opposite like where Paul McCartney and John Lennon and that went to school mm-hmm. literally over the road. It was the girls' section of the boys' side, if you will. So we'd done a ghost hunt in there with about 20 other people. It was very eerie. It's an old, like, stately home, so it's going to be eerie. But in truth, the flat that I'm recording this in now is, I think, it has... And this is the interesting thing. I wouldn't... Would I say that it's haunted? No. Would I say there's some sort of strange visitation that takes place now and again over a period of weeks yes every so often there's just a spell of activity which becca's witnessed becca's the most skeptical partner doesn't believe in it we've seen for example you know, like like uh, you know like late like the cat toys a laser pen um, yeah. we've seen those red lights on the stairs there's no windows on the stairs but we've seen those red lights on the stairs shooting around the stairs we've both the bit the best the biggest one we've seen like for example the lid of the swing bin moves every so many months it'll go through a period of flicking on its own and we both look at each other where is the bin located and towards the kitchen now this is the interesting thing it's an open plan living room and kitchen area the bins okay. by the kitchen but it's all around the kitchen but there's many a time at least once a week we pause the television or netflix or whatever and listen to noises coming from the kitchen. She says it's pipes or whichever else, but there has been one occasion where we've both been stood in the kitchen. I had my back to the sink. She was looking at me talking away, but but I'm cutting up whatever, talking away, and her eyes go wide, and then I hear the tap running behind me, and I turn around, and as I turn around, I catch it still moving up, and basically the lever of the tap is, you have to lift her up to turn the tap on, was moving up, and the tap. Oh, it's like one of those uh, ones you get in hospitals where they can move it up with their like elbow, like the surgeons yes, move it, up. One of those. It is, of... but it's smaller, so you can only do it okay. with your hand. But yeah, it's the same principle. Right. And I saw it move up, so this tap has literally just turned itself on. So she put it down to water pressure. I'm like, water pressure may make a tap leak. It won't physically move a lever of a tap that needs to go up to turn on. For me, this was the interesting part. I thought, for me, I was made up initially. I was like, there you go. That's your proof. You've got now undeniable proof that something physical has took place in this flat. It's haunted. Ghosts exist. Made up is right. That was my mentality for about an an hour. And then it dawned on me, what am I happy for? Because if that's genuine and that's just taken place, there's something in this flat that has the ability to move things around without any say-so or authority from me. What else can it do? And I genuinely got a shiver down my spine and a, a fear that I 
I need to think more rationally on this and start hoping that it is just water pressure because the alternative is too petrifying to, to, to go with. How old is the property? Well, this is another thing. It's not that old. It's a new build block of flats. However, it's part of an old paraffin factory that was here, obviously, when they were producing paraffin pre-war. So some of the features of the building outside has got like arches in from when it used to be this paraffin factory. And also, interestingly, the building just to the left, literally across the road from where I'm looking now, is a was a former church. It was called St. Nick's. The graveyard spilled out across where all this was before it was a paraffin factory. So the church is still in some paintings of the area because it's bang city centre Liverpool. And obviously Liverpool's like, you know, it's been a city since the 1200s. So it's a lot of history. there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so there, there's stuff about definitely. But um, yeah, we've had like, you know, for example, we've we've both posted TV and had someone coming up and down the stairs. It's a duplex flat. We've we've recently, well, I refer to it as the neighbor's cat because we're not allowed a cat in the flat. So it's the neighbor's cat, if that makes sense to everyone between the lines. Occasionally of a night, there's been a good few occasions where we've had scratching on the walls and the stairs and in the and the carpet of the stairs. And we've both went, oi, like shouted at the neighbor's cat. And the neighbor's cat's then lifted her head up from the bottom of the bed. And we've been like, oh God, what is that? So yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. But it, it's not here all the time is the strange thing. Do you ever get the feeling that you're being watched? Only very, very rarely, if I'm being honest. We've been here about eight years now, and I could count on one hand that the feelings that I've been watched. But when I have, I've been not convinced I've been watched. I've been convinced Becca's in the room with me. In fact, the other day it happened to her. She was like, our bedrooms are downstairs, the living room's upstairs. About 11 o'clock at night, she shouted up from downstairs, was you just in the bedroom? And I went, no, why? I said, do you promise? And I was like, yeah, why? She was like, I could have swore you've just been in the bedroom. And it's interesting when she does it because, she, you know, she she will go to the rational every time over something yeah, bizarre. Yeah. But yeah, when I felt like I've been watched, I, I've not thought, oh, this is weird. I feel like I'm being watched. I've genuinely thought Becca's behind me and I've turned around and she's not been. So one of the, the theories that I kind of subscribe to is with rather than buildings, it's the environment, the space in which we live and we do whatever we do that we imprint and whatever goes on there can be left. So you could build a, an old-fashioned building and it gets knocked down. You build a new building and yet the environment that those two buildings kind of with, are within, the bubble, mm. uh, everything that has happened is still there and it's still able to interact or in some way if you're an individual that has a an ability to feel or experience i mean it's in a way like a switch yeah uh, then you're able to sort of exp kind of pick up on that one of the things i've noticed i live in a once again i'll keep it really short because i'll be not waffling <laughs> yeah uh, but i have to tell you this to put in context of what i'm trying to convey yeah i live in a an 18th century what used to be in in the victorian days it used to be a mansion oh it's not a mansion anymore. Well, it is. It still is a mansion, but it's a it's a all apartments. So they yeah. chopped it all up and made apartments, and they built onto it. So some of the building has been extended, so it's more modern, and some of it is older. But I'm quite lucky because I live in part old and part new. Yeah, my bedroom and the back part is that's the old part, the the part that dates back to the 18th century. Right. 
I have these double windows and these steps that lead down to the double windows and railings. Mm. And you would think, well, why is double windows, bedroom windows, because it's a semi-basement apartment. Yeah. Why, why would I have steps? Well, those windows never used to be there in the olden days because they were doors. And of course, if you do a little bit of research, a lot of these buildings, which are three or four floors high, which this one is, it's got a huge tower out the front and stuff. Yeah. It, they, they're servants' quarters and they're kitchens. Right, yeah. So in the olden days, the those where I sleep was most probably a, a scullery or a, a kitchen or a... Uh, maybe the servants in that you live in the the attic but it was some sort of working area yeah yeah and when i'm in bed at night and i'm just chilling what on the laptop or i'm reading a book or whatever i always get the feeling to look over towards the window it's it's a bay window with big curtains and i always get the feeling to sort of look there as as if i need to look there as if i i'm going to see something it's a very strange feeling it's not scary it's just a feeling that I need to look there. And I think in some way, not to do with, although I have had an experience in here, which I can't explain, mm. but I do feel that um, in some way, possibly my subconscious is interacting with the environment. And if that doorway that used to be there was an incredibly busy place where people coming in and out, yeah. maybe I'm picking up on that. Maybe I'm some way my subconscious is picking up on that yeah, yeah i could believe that yeah and and talking about mike's i'm gonna keep be really quick now because people will be getting angry <laughs> when i first moved in here quite a number of years ago now but when i first moved in uh it was a bit of you know i was moving all my stuff in i've got this kind of double door where there's an outer door and an inner door both doors were open because i was in the process of moving stuff in i was carrying some boxes and i've got this kind of galley long hallway which goes between the front part of my apartment and the back part it sort of intersects uh, it runs parallel to my kind of galley kitchen yeah and for a quick moment i felt as if a cat had run between my legs i physically felt like a furry cat had gone between wow. my legs i was wearing shorts i was moving in the summer so i was wearing shorts and you know and um i thought oh god cat i don't want it in here <laughs> i thought yeah. maybe the person before had a cat or somebody was fed a cat you know yeah and I thought, great, I'm going to have to go and look for it. And I tell you what, I looked everywhere. I couldn't find no cat. Wow. So, and nothing ran back out because I closed the door because I thought I better close the door because I, it's just to make sure what it is. Yeah. Who knows? But I physically felt something run between my legs and it was really weird. That is very um, strange. That, yeah, a bit weird. So I do think that as we're going back to your apartment, I do think that your your because your apartment is in an area where it possibly has been has been other history there mm. maybe there is some crossover some something that is there and maybe that's to do with a lot of a lot of hauntings and it, and it actually it leads me nicely onto my uh, next question or my my next topic okay with a property mm. does a property have to be have a ghost to be haunted do properties i mean for example if you go to a house and somebody says, oh, it's, it's a haunted house, then immediately you're going to think, well, clearly it's got a ghost. Uh, but And if somebody says, oh, yeah, my house has got a ghost, then you think, oh, clearly it's haunted. Do the two things need to be present at the same time for a paranormal phenomenon to happen? What, what, what do you think? I, I, I don't think they need to be present for paranormal phenomena to happen, no. Because one of the, a theory that I've always thought about 
it's in, I've always thought it interesting that when you hear, you know, if you ask somebody, like you go to a new job or wherever you say, do you know any ghost stories? The number of, yeah. of like colloquial ghost stories that you hear where they begin with, we were telling ghost stories and, or we were in a haunted house and, or we were doing a Ouija board and. I think that what we would refer to as paranormal activity in those situations, I think there's a lot to be said about a group of humans, like real alive humans in what they perceive as a terrifying situation and getting each other's psyche worked up into some sort of folly adieu of energy. And I think that it's more likely in those situations that you could be anywhere. If you believe somewhere's haunted, well, my mum always used to say, if you want to see a ghost, you'll see a ghost. And yeah. um, she meant by that is even if there's one there or not, you'll convince yourself you have. Uh, but I think, for example, there's an argument to be made about some sort of energy that we don't know that exists as of yet. But let's say you've got five people doing a Ouija board in, a, in an alleged haunted attic. Because it's often that you'll hear a story, let's say for Ouija board's sake, that oh, we were doing the Ouija board and the glass shot off from our hands or it went to yes and then a clock flew across the room from the mantelpiece or something similar. And I think what actually could happen in those situations, if you've got five very terrified individuals, if you picture in your mind, you've, you, you may have to, a way of thinking of it. This is how I think about it. You've got two levels. You've got one side on the left, which is what you know can happen. And on the right, what you think might be able to happen. And 99.9% .9 of the day, those two are level and therefore things happen. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can open that door with your hand. You think you can open the door. It's level. You reach out, you open the door with a hand. Stuff like what you know can happen in terms of the paranormal. It's always very low. It's like, you know, I don't know for a fact that ghosts exist. I don't know for a fact poltergeist activity can happen. But what I think can happen is quite high. You know, like it could happen. Yeah, I do believe in those sorts of things. So they never meet. When you're in those situations where you're doing the Ouija board or you're doing a seance, you start to hear stories in those environments when you're telling each other yeah. ghost stories, which brings what you know can happen a little bit higher and start to meet the what you think can happen. And you're like, what, really? That really happened? Well, I trust you. So what you know as fact can happen starts to creep up to the level of where it meets the what you think can happen. And when that does and it clicks and everybody has that same click at the same time, maybe, for example, when the, the planchette goes to yes and that's the final click, I think there's some sort of energy release at that point that maybe just fires out and fires something off a mantelpiece and validates everything that you've been told. So I think there's an energy within human beings that we've just not yet managed to understand or tap that is in its nature by its very understanding a supernatural experience. But I think it could be a very natural one. I think that uh, when, you're, when you're younger, when you're a child, a lot of the uh, poltergeist phenomenon is surrounded around younger children yeah when you go to houses and and it or it usually lasts for about what around a year uh and they it's it kind of grows in intensity it gets really kind of crazy and then it just stops yeah i think there's something with children that when you're a younger person uh, uh, maybe it's the, your worldview maybe that all the crazy stuff in the world you're not aware of yet and it, it your mind is clearer and you you kind of you're in this kind of little kind of child bubble where only the things that matter to you matter and all the other stuff isn't important so i think that um there is a possibility where we as when we're younger have more of an ability to be in contact with whatever it might be yeah the paranormal the supernatural but when you get older most people 99 percent of people lose that ability 
or the intuition that we feel, you know, it's a gut feeling, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's more like, you know, a lot of people ignore it. Be honest with you, the older I get, the more I trust my gut feeling. And nine times out of 10, it's correct. Yeah. When I was younger, I was very arrogant. I was like, I know it all. And I would usually, I would like, you know, you get a gut feeling about, oh, no, ignore that. Oh, I know better. Yeah, yeah. And it usually goes wrong. What I was going to ask you going on from this, which leads me on nicely, is re regarding the paranormal and regarding phenomenon and things happening, is it plausible to think that the paranormal, the supernatural, ghosts, hauntings, strange phenomenon is a side effect of us human beings, our, our consciousness? Because obviously we go back to the consciousness, uh, we're connected uh, to a hive consciousness that yeah. our consciousness is outside the mind that we're you know we are a kind of a we're a we're not actually in our bodies we're outside of our bodies but we're all connected in some way uh, and that maybe the paranormal phenomenon not all of it not not all of it because we don't we don't really know enough about it but some of at least some of it is a product as you just said of a a kind of a wish fulfillment a, yeah, yeah. A, a, a manifestation of our wants and needs and hopes yeah i do yeah I, so I, I could even take it a step further really and you know it's a controversial thing to say but there's a i've often thought as a theory that the same with religion so i'm you know by denomination of my family's choosing i'm roman catholic a very lax roman catholic um, non-practicing roman catholic but i've i still you know i don't say i'm an atheist i do believe there's a god and I'm in the camp of Roman Catholicism, but I also think it's just as likely that um, using the idea of tulpas and thought forms, you know, that, that you've concentrated on coming into life and into being. Yeah. If you think about it, the, you know, say Catholicism, for example, there's billions of Catholics across the globe. A lot of them are obviously a lot more devout than I, and they spend a lot of time praying to something that a lot of atheists obviously don't believe exists. Now, if you look at it from a Tulpa standpoint, I think there's an argument to be made that when they had the Council of Nicaea and all that, and they agreed on Christ's divinity, yeah. the, there's an argument to be made, if a very abstract argument, of course, that there was no God, um, but thousands and millennia of years of praying to the thing in the sky has created a God by the very same method. So God is a giant Tulpa, really. But then that same would apply for the devil. So maybe off the same merit what you're saying but we bring these things into existence there's part of me which does believe that which does believe that there is now a god you know you can and that way you can kind of appease the arguments of atheists to a point where they're like there is no god they're like no there wasn't you're quite right but we've now created it in our own image the irony you know god created man in his own image well no man's just created god in his own image and he's a giant tulpa or she's a giant tulpa or they're a giant tulpa you know religion has always fascinated me uh, as someone who is like you, I expect that you grew up in your early years going to Sunday school and learning the stories of the Bible and having it all told yeah. to you. And and I was I used to really enjoy going to Sunday school and doing all the things you do at Sunday school and going on camp and stuff like that. And as I got older, I kind of questioned religion. I would still I, would, I was still in a like a church club and I would we, we'd go and do activities and stuff. And I enjoyed that side of it. And it was all very 
I think it was all very a positive thing. It was all very positive. For me, it was positive. I, I was doing stuff. I was going out with my friends. We were going on trips. It was all very positive. Yeah. But I also, I don't want to say it was religious-based because it wasn't. Mm. Because when you were children, you don't think like that. You don't think, well, I'm going, uh, I'm going to the church. You know, you don't, you, you're just your mates. Yeah, you're you just going out with your out, mates to go, yeah, go skateboarding. You know, it's, it's not nothing like that. I think that religion and uh, different thoughts, beliefs, and pe- the way that you believe in your your maker or a god or whatever it might be, I think you should be free to believe in whatever you want to believe in. Yeah. But I do think that you can be religious without being religious. So the spirituality of someone, your your spirituality. I mean, I think there's something more out there than 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 was just us. I when I look at when I look at the stars and I look at the planets and I look at space, I immediately think, well, you know, that's there's a, that's a lot of nothing out there for it to be nothing. Yeah. You know, and and all this is made just through it happened because it was like it just happened. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and so I start to question that and I don't want I never want to kind of pigeonhole myself into anything. I'm always willing to read stuff and learn new things, come up with new ideas. But I do think that we are it, it's a it's a slippery slope where you can become so devout to something that you become blinkered and you don't look to anything else and you don't want to hear about anything else and that oh completely yeah where you get fanatical about something where, where you just that is it that is your life that thing in that bubble is your life and nothing else yeah it's nothing else you know and so when I got older and and cause friends grow up and they get, have families and they do their stuff and you you have more time to sort of reflect and i i look upon you know what is a god or where is a god or how is a god i think that everyone in a in a way and this is going to be a little bit controversial i suppose everyone in a way is in a small part their own god oh yeah and their own maker of their destiny and i think that with all the crazy enough that goes on in the world and the, all, all the craziness that is happening in the world and all the craziness that has been happening in the world and will has happened for for millennia yeah i think that we kind of lose our way a little bit and we're going off track a little bit when it comes to the unknown the paranormal if you could imagine put it this way if you could imagine if you got all of the most cleverest people on the planet and put them together and said we need to find out. We need to research the paranormal. And for all I know, this might not. This might be going on right now, and it has gone on. I mean, military have conducted uh, stuff and and things like that, and, and done all these kind of paranormal exercises. We, you know, where remote viewing and stuff like yeah. that. So it does go on, and it has happened. But I think that we, when we come to this kind of understanding the paranormal, it, it, it you kind of it's on a hamster wheel, isn't it? We're going around and around and around, and we kind of we go full circle. And it starts again. It kind of resets and starts again. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that, yeah, I mean, I as I, I go off on a tangent, I go off waffling, <laughs> but I think that when we look at religion and all the things that are in our world today, I think that we have to be a little bit more understanding of other people and how other people feel and other people's beliefs and thoughts that aren't what I would call mainstream. Yeah, I mean, do, I, I'm. Do I? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm not against any people's belief systems. The people I'm against is the people who, like you've just said, uh, like if someone is an ardent atheist and they, they can see no other sides, and if somebody's an ardent religious fanatic and they can see no other sides, like uh, like 
I always get into kind of not arguments, but what I really frustrate one of my friends because they're like, do you still see yourself as a Roman Catholic? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And like, but do you believe in the Bible? I'm like, no, not really. I said, well, how can you, how, you know, there's a, that doesn't compute. You, you can't have one and the other. I'm like, well, I can. Yeah. I've allowed myself to say that I can. Do you know what I mean? It's because I don't know. I don't know. And the thing is, they don't know. Atheists don't know. They could, and religious people don't know. Um, so you would say, okay, therefore you're agnostic. And no, no, I still count myself as that because as Roman Catholic, because why not? Do you know what I mean? I'm not gonna, it doesn't cause anyone any harm for me to think so. And yeah, I'm, nobody knows. That's the thing. That's the key thing. And nobody will know. That's the other thing, you know, cause un, everyone says you'll know when you die. Well, not according to an atheist cause you, there's nothing there. So it's good to theorize. It's good to debate. It's good to have your own ideas on what goes on. But the moment you start trying to force them down other people's neck and tell them they're in the wrong, you don't know. So there's no point doing it. Yeah, you can soon go down a dark path yeah. when you, you start to try and do that. Nicely moving on from religion and the paranormal, what are your thoughts on Bigfoot and aliens? Maybe the Bigfoot stroke alien connection, because that, that is a topic apparently. Yeah. Are aliens Bigfoot wearing big very coat <laughs> yes they are and i've got proof because i've got one in the garage <laughs> no um and you know what I, to be honest i listened to there's a fantastic show out there uh, into the fray done by shannon legro and she it's largely bigfoot focused and i'll be honest it's not my favorite topic bigfoot but i'm still fascinated with it and cryptids in general you know uh, the thing is i think why my it, it's a hard thing to explain, but I am interested in encrypted Bigfoot, etc. But I think it's so likely that I put my interest into things which are less provable. And what I mean by that is obviously Bigfoot's not proven. But, you know, when you think, was it Mount Gorillas were only found in 1911 or whatever yeah. it was, or sometime near there, there's been a, one of the world's biggest trees has only been discovered in the last 12 months over in the States, um, or the species of tree anyway. And I just don't see it as inconceivable or such a ridiculous idea that there's an, an animal that's out there that exists that we haven't found. You know, it, I think it's very stupid to think otherwise. Well, not stupid's too harsh a word, but I think it's very irresponsible to think otherwise. I do watch a lot of documentaries on Bigfoot, and I advise anyone that wants to learn more about Bigfoot is to look up Small Town Monsters on YouTube. Mm. They make some amazing documentaries. Oh, okay. They are really high quality one of the things that i do notice when i watch these documentaries from researchers that go out in the field they go out into the the vast forests in america and their their national parks are um, immense mm. a little bit bigger than the forest of dean <laughs> yeah. but they are immense and the researchers that have encountered these large fellas have said that um they seem to come from nowhere that they yeah they don't hear them they don't see them arrive they don't see them leave and that they be they seem to be able to move very quickly and very precisely where they want to be yeah one one lady who witnessed a large hairy beast from her window she lived out in the middle of nowhere all that was she was surrounded by a huge forest it's in america yeah and she witnessed a large figure at least 7 foot tall and it bounded from the edge of a field, maybe a couple of hundred feet into the 
woodland, mm. the edging of the woods. And she said that he did it in about six to seven steps. So that's 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 powerful. That's yeah, yeah. Literally, <laughs> that's literally jumping across, you know, across, the, and that's you know that that's that's just mind blowing. Yeah. But one of the things that I have noticed in reading about, because we have them in England with people that have seen what we call them the wild man over here. Uh, yeah. And obviously you've got the uh, the abominable snowman up in the. Uh, the, you know, the snowy areas. I believe there was meant, we go camping to a place in North Wales called Linguinant, uh, just at the, yeah. at the foot of Snowdon. And that's got a, a, an alleged Bigfoot or wild man, apparently. Never seen it, obviously. But. They're all over. They're, they're, these accounts are all over, but obviously predominantly in places like America, because yeah. America have got vast areas of wilderness. And yeah. of course, the you know, other phenomenon that happen, not just in America, but all over where people just vanish into thin air. But that's a story for another day. That's a, a whole can of worms there. Yeah, yeah. But one thing I was going to say was that when you do read about some uh, Bigfoot sightings, is they always seem to coincide, not all of them, but some of them seem to coincide with alien sightings. Yeah, lights uh, in unidentified the lights in the sky. Yeah. Where people will see these lights in the sky a few nights before or a few nights after, and then they will have the phenomenon where they'll see what perceived to be Bigfoot or a, yeah. a, a large, hairy, bipedal person or personal thing you know, because we don't know. Yeah. Um. But obviously one of the most famous is, obviously we've got the Patterson film and that, but going, coming a bit more up to date is Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. And the, 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 the big, alleged type Bigfoot that was witnessed coming out of a, what they only describe as a, a portal that seemed to open up in a field. And this large creature walked out and just like, casually like stroll off across the field uh and then the portal closed and they went in searching for it they couldn't find any trace of it anywhere yeah and of course there were other phenomenon on skinwalker where they had uh a large this is when the family lived there because obviously that it got too much for the family that originally lived on the ranch yeah. they sold the ranch to robert bigelow who put nids in there which is the National Institute for Discovery Discovery Science. Yeah. And he set up a camp there to uh measure and document this phenomenon. But they uh the family were plagued for a while by what they uh describe as large, heavy creatures walking around outside the ranch, moving around on the on the the wood wood area, you know, outside the door and stuff. Yeah. Uh, they were also plagued with what you could describe as um, poltergeist phenomenon in the building, which has got a connection I'll, I'll come to in a second with poltergeist phenomenon and and aliens. Um, but the most scary thing is that they came into a, encountered a large, oversized wolf-like dog, which came into the came up to them, mm. and then it it turned. It, it, I think it turned violent and they shot at it with a very high powered rifle and it didn't seem to do anything to it. Yeah. Um, so all this strange phenomenon, of course, when I talk about poltergeist phenomenon, if we think about Whitley Strieber and his cabin mm. up in the woods, when he had his, whatever it was he was experiencing, 
his communion. Yeah. Um, it, he experienced poltergeist phenomenon in his cabin, and it was not only witnessed by himself, it was witnessed by people who came to stay in the cabin as well, where they felt that they were being watched and that things were moving around in the cabin and being misplaced. Yeah. And it maybe, you know, always goes back to sort of aliens in invisible suits. But yeah, I know it's, I know that one of the things from the, the Bigelow Ranch, uh, Skinwalker Ranch even, that they reported as well was kind of like invisible sort of, the, I don't know what the right word is. Objects is the wrong word, but invisible things that were given off like higher magnetic fields. You yeah. Know, that they, you could like locate them like there was something there that was emitting a magnetic field. And I think if you've seen it on like YouTube and the likes, I can't think, I think it's called the Hutchinson effect, maybe, um, where they use, they've managed to replicate poltergeist phenomena using the high powered magnets or creating a magnetic field. It's a highly controversial thing, but using mega powered magnets, they've managed to make things yeah. jump off a table and stuff. And it's just interesting that uh, that's one of the phenomena that's being reported at Skinwalker Ranch as well. The high magnetic fields just seemingly, because I think in all honesty, getting tying into UFOs, I think this, like the propulsion systems of uh, UFOs and the like, I think that's what in thousand years time or whenever we find how we can do a similar thing, because we don't, nobody knows with UFOs, you know, we use the term very, well, I use the term very nondescriptively because I, I, I'm i completely open to the idea that it might be us from the future coming back. You know, tying in there with the, let's say, for example, because none of us know, and this is the thing, we can only look at what the patterns are and then make an assumption. So you could also argue there when we're talking about like uh, Bigfoot are sighted around the times of UFOs, who's to say what's the causal effect there? Let's say for yeah, our cat, oh, sorry, the neighbor's cat, for example, I can look at it in one room, blink an eye with sight, sight unseen and no sound. She can be upstairs. Now, because I haven't perceived her doing that, didn't hear it, doesn't mean she's magically appeared there. It just means as part of her natural stealth enables her to do that. Perhaps Bigfoot yeah. has the same ability to do that. And True. let's say, for example, um, who's to say that the aliens aren't just as fascinated with Bigfoot as we are, but they've managed to sort out the um say the the moving patterns of bigfoot or when they come out they know by star alignments or whichever else when they're likely to catch a bigfoot therefore they come out to bigfoot watch and they're out three days before a bigfoot sight and because they're in the area thinking we might see a bigfoot so do you know what i mean we, we just don't know we yeah. can only throw theories at it do i think bigfoot are aliens no i don't and the reason well i'm not saying that there's a difference between sorry when i say they're not aliens I mean, that very simple thing. I don't think they're, they're the lights in the sky. They land and they are the Bigfoot coming out. I do think there's a chance they're like a spiritual entity. So maybe like um, like a natural force basically personified. So like a, a forest spirit or something like that. Yeah. I think there's yeah, a chance that they're that. But I don't think that they're the intelligent species which are flying what we're now terming UAPs in the sky, personally. But I'm not, you know, they might be. We don't know is the thing. So staying on the subject of UFOs, have you ever experienced a UFO or seen anything strange in the night sky? Uh, yes, actually. I've, uh, there's two that jump out. One when I was very young, sat on a shed roof. Middle of the day, it was the afternoon, actually, um, but it was bright, summer's day, and a giant orange fireball slowly fell down in the sky. And it wasn't a Chinese lantern because this was like 
the size of a football. Um, and it wasn't the sun, uh, but it very slowly moved down across the sky uh, and then went past the horizon. No idea what it was. The second one is with a pair of binoculars. Becker's stepdad's got these amazing binoculars. They're like Swarovski crystal binoculars or something, which is to do with the lens. They're about like two grand or something ridiculous for a Mm. pair of binoculars because he's a keen bird watcher. And he was showing me these binoculars in the back garden. And it was one of those daytimes where you can where the, you can see the moon during the day. You know, it's like a silhouetted yeah, yeah. thing. And yeah. I went, oh, I'll look at the moon. So I focused in on the moon. And something, a silver small, it looked like um, an, uh, a subtraction sign on a keyboard it is the only way to describe it. Because it wasn't exactly like cigar shaped. It was more like a, like a perfect rectangle. It went behind the moon and didn't come out the other side. So yeah, there are two things that, could have completely rational explanations. Could just be a satellite. Could be something else. The first one, I don't know. Definitely strange. So yeah, I've, certainly strange. I've seen what we would, in, in the very definition of the word, an unidentified flying object. Then yes, I've seen a couple, but I couldn't tell you what they were. Interesting that you bring in the moon because my uh, my flip side question to that was: Do you think that there are bases on the moon, and do you think that uh, sooner or later we are going to? Uh, someone's going to admit that there is a past civilization that used to live on Mars because there are so many people now that are coming out and doing research, looking at pictures that are coming back from Mars and scratching their heads and asking questions that mm-hmm. NASA will soon, sooner or later turn around and go, well, you know what? We have been uh, telling a little bit of a lie. <laughs> yeah, I would say, well, the one thing I would say is that we we will always, us mere plebs, uh, the general public, we will only know 50% if that of what's actually known because they won't divulge it to us. I would say bases on the moon, in my opinion, no. I don't think so on the moon. Past civilization on Mars, in my opinion, yes. I think we're, I think as a, as, a, as a species, we're very up our own backside and we're very self-absorbed and we're very yes. naive and we believe we're the only thing that exists. And, and that attitude is why Topics like the ones we discuss in our podcasts and other things like that are, are just laughed off by people because we, we regard our own self-importance far too highly, I think. And I think I do think that there has been a previous civilization on Mars. And that's the thing, isn't it? The, the kind of like one of the, the, the key theory about how life started on Earth is the idea that it was, we were seeded from a meteorite, you know, and bacteria of some sort landed yeah. in a meteorite and then evolved into us. But the vast majority of people would then just like that's come from somewhere you know that living life has come from somewhere and traveled on a rock so that in answer to the to that question is the life out there yes because it arrived here and that's what we are um so uh, life on mars yeah i do that i do actually think i think it was there and it was a flourishing society in all honesty and then the atmosphere went and there was some sort of seeding program that went on with earth it took off I know I've got nothing other than that to say, not to back it up, but I just do believe that when you look, especially when scientists scientists have come out and said, this is what Mars looked like millions of years ago, and it's got an atmosphere, yeah. it's got land, yeah. it's got rivers. Uh, it's been, water, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been long said, the only thing you need for life is oxygen and water, and, uh, or carbon and water, and apparently they had it in abundance, so therefore it must have had life. And again, yeah, I just think it's our naivety which makes us assume that where it literally went cavemen us nothing else has ever existed i think that's a bit naive it leads me on to something that i give a lot of thought to and uh it's been in the news 
a lot recently, mm. and that is disclosure. Everyone's talking about it. All the, the UFO heads are talking about it. All the UFO groups are talking about it. Of course, the the governments, or mainly the American government, have admitted to some of the film that they have captured. They can't explain what the phenomenon is that they've captured yeah. or they've recorded. Do you think disclosure is something that's going to happen? And is it going to happen in our lifetime? And would it be, personally, just to get my two cents in a moment, I don't think it's going to happen. The reasons it won't happen is because the powers that be won't let it happen. But I also think that if it did happen, it would be positive and a negative thing. What, what do you think? It's a tough one, really. Part of me wants to say it's already happened. And the only reason I say that is because, well, do you, do you like I will remember like early 90s and when uh, mid 90s, even when X-Files and stuff come out. Yeah. And, you know, they were still, if you think about it, they were still denying the existence of Area 51 at the time. Mm. Um, and it was laughable to assume we would ever get to a point where the Pentagon would say there's something in the sky and we don't know what it is. You know, it was laughable that that would ever be admitted. And now we're in a situation where they've, I know Area 51, this could just be testing military equipment. It might not have anything to do with the whole backstory. But it's interesting that we are now in a, in a living in a time where the Department of Defense are saying there are things within our airspace that we don't know what they are, but we don't believe they pose a threat. I, I, I just find that mind blowing. So, Part of me would also say things don't happen. I don't think things happen accidentally. I don't think they'd give us that snippet of information if they didn't know something else. So I don't know what that is, but I do believe they would try anything. If they were, I think governments will try anything and everything to keep you in the dark when they want to keep you in the dark. And, you know, part of me would, would go as far as to say when you hear about like, you know, um, part of me, you know, as stupid as it is, when they were talking about lockdowns for COVID, obviously COVID, as you know personally, is a horrific thing that did take place. But when the lockdown stay indoors was taking place, part of me was thinking, I wonder if this could just be because there's going to be a giant fleet of UFOs going over and they're like, <laughs> don't go outside, you know. I um, thought that yeah, as well. So. I thought, what's going on? Is this the, is this the, uh, is this the mass landings? Is it going to exactly, be like V? Yeah. Are they going to appear yeah, in the sky? And, and this is, I think that the governments would try and do something like that. You know, they'd knock out communications or something and say, oh, it's just a, it's a solar, a solar flare or something. So there could be no sharing of social media. There could be no nothing. I think they're the flags that would, you'd have to look for. And I don't think, you know, I'm not saying, uh, you know, I, I could probably say stuff that make me sound like a right weirdo. But what I mean is, I, I think, I don't think it would be as black and white as, Tomorrow, there's going to be aliens flying over. Just be aware. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that's the kind of what I'm trying yeah. to convey. It's, uh, it's, it's like a disclosure in the sense of, oh, by the way, on tonight's news, yeah, this is Jim the alien. Yeah. And he's going to yeah. have a chat. I, I don't no. think it's going to be like that. I think that if we do have any form of disclosure, it's going to be done in such a way that it's going to be so carefully controlled. Yeah. Uh, and that there are powers that be will be very careful as to what is let out and what people, I mean, yeah, there is film out there and they say that they don't know what it is, but they're not saying, well, uh, it's an alien spaceship. Yeah, exactly. We don't know saying, what it is. Yeah. We don't know what it is. So you decide what it is. Everyone jumps on it and says, well, it's a, you know, it's the Tic Tac, uh, it's a UFO. It's uh, going really far. Yeah. 
they decided what it is and it, we still don't know what it is i think that with ufos with any phenomenon that is up there in the sky that we that shouldn't be there it needs investigating obviously and people are out there doing it but resources are limited and there are some really good researchers out there but there are also some other researchers that are doing it for the other reasons but there are some really good ones and i think that those people out there there's not enough of them and the scientists that have got the facilities and the and the backing and the funding they don't want to go near it because it's their career is yeah. on the line and although 20 30 years ago if you were a scientist and you came out and said uh i want to research ufos i'm going to join this group you that was your career yeah. was, you're done yeah your career's over you're done mate no you will never get any more funding now i think it's a little bit more accepted where it's in the kind of the the public domain the ufos are kind of a little bit more like pop culture uh where you kind of you say to somebody oh you are into ufos and they don't immediately think you're some weird geek that lives in a basement they think oh this is somebody that you know wants to expand and learn about yeah. new things but there is that there's still that kind of um you've obviously experienced this when you go into a place where you don't know anyone and they go so what and you say oh, I do a podcast or i i'm into i'm into ghosts or whatever and they look at you and you get that look yeah. that look oh that's like you're looking at you like you're some sort of like you're a hundred well, i think that, i think that in terms of like the dis, like the disclosure part i think you're right in terms of i think what they will do they'll they'll release bits drip by drip and there will be no massive mm. effect and, and kind of what i mean by that on a tangible provable scale is I do think it's fascinating that if if, if you if I could go back in time and say to 16-year-old me, do you know in 2022, the US Department of Defense will say there's things in the sky, they don't know what they are, and there are there is people catching footage of it. I, that would blow my mind. But my skeptical friend, for example, his attitude in 1996 of it's all nonsense, doesn't exist, don't be daft. I asked him about this very same subject and said very recently and said, you know, the government body of defense in America is saying these things exist in the sky and they don't know what they are. And his response was exactly the same. He went, yeah, and they're right to say that, but it doesn't matter because UFOs don't exist. And I found it fascinating that they've managed to release this in such a way that it's not changed a lot of people's minds or blown a lot of people's minds that this has been outed. Yeah, it's a kind of a drip yeah. feed. It's a, uh, yeah, I mean, the, we know the media run, let's be honest, that the way the media is set up, it kind of dictates to everyone how yeah. you think. Most people's thought processes are based on what they see and what they hear. And what they see and what they hear is what they read or what they see on the news. So the news dictates to you how you yeah. think. And, and, and when I do talk to people in a sense of when it comes to the UFO phenomenon, and I say, well, you got to remember that a lot of if you're only if you're only watching the news or reading newspapers from 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 the main media you in a way you're being programmed to interpret certain information a yeah. certain way it's only when you push all that aside and stop watching that and going to the more what i would call it the independent fringe media okay that is a a massive quagmire in itself because even on youtube you type in ufos and there's so much stuff that is literally just mm. noise and you've got a small percentage of people that are what i would call quality researchers that that do their 
due diligence and they put stuff out there and when you hear what they present you think my god that that is some interesting yeah. stuff at the end of the day i think that if we do have a form of disclosure and if they did turn around and say look the aliens are here and they're, they're gonna build a house or whatever or they're gonna make a church <laughs> yeah. that wouldn't that be weird the church of alien um if they were gonna do something and they landed or they admit that they've been around forever it's going to change the way that we view ourselves and our position because we would no longer be the yeah. alpha dog we would be the underdog because they would be the you know they, they've landed in their spaceships we are no longer and you're also going to get people who are going to turn them into a form of deity yeah, yeah completely yeah. and they're going to see them as a god and and worship them as a god and of course when people get into that what we talked about earlier fandom and fanatical yeah, yeah. kind of mindset you then have the possibility for violence to occur because people want you know you believe in this or you believe in yeah. nothing and if you don't believe in this then you must perish yeah, yeah, yeah. so we we come kind of full circle there when it's a, it's a very very tricky tightrope to 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 kind of walk when we look at the whole alien phenomenon uh it's not a question of just someone landing and coming out of a spaceship and going oh hi yeah you know i'm an yeah. alien i'm from wherever it's so much more complicated because we are we we are very um well not all in in general i think we are always looking for someone or something to show us the way oh yeah definitely know, yeah to show us that path and the aliens are are, are kind of that you know, it's like it's like the afterlife. You know, we're hoping for something at the end. I mean, I'm I love ghosts. I love the paranormal. I love reading about it. I love all the cases I cover and read about. But I'm still not convinced. I'm still yeah. always a little bit on that fence, thinking, well, you know, you've got to be because otherwise, if you fall into the hind kind of, well, it is true, and you might as well just not read anything any ever again. Just oh, believe. Yeah. Also, it drive it. you mad as well if you believed everything. It would. So, okay, so fantastic. I think I think for this episode we've covered every topic on the planet. <laughs> almost, yeah, yeah, almost. <laughs> Nearly. Um, so all I've got to ask you is what? Where's your podcast going in 2022? What's your What's your kind of goal for this year? And and where do you see yourself at? you know, the other side of the summer? Um, well, uh, just stability, really, if we need to talk about ghosts. So, yeah, that's it, really. I just wanted to, I want to, I stopped doing it in November, as I say, because it lost its way and I wasn't enjoying doing it. And that was the key thing. And I thought, it, I love the paranormal and it's what I do in my spare time. You know, I, I, did, I did have a full-time job. I've now managed to go part-time, thankfully. But, um, in my spare time away from work, I read the paranormal, I watched the paranormal, uh, and it, it was a hobby, and it was a fun hobby that I enjoyed doing. And when I lost the passion to do it, and it felt like something I had to get out each and every week, as opposed to wanted to get out each and every week, that's when I realized something was wrong with it. So I stopped it. And um, yeah, 19 episodes into the reformat, I'm still enjoying it. And that's, I kind of just want to make sure it stays on that trajectory, really. you got to find your kind of the vibe that fits with what you want to yeah. do. I think with anything uh, in life, I mean, I, I talk as well as someone who produces these shows. I always want to do stuff that I find interesting. I want to do an episode 
that I, I want to be interested in because it's very difficult to do something that, you know, it's that whole kind of nine to five mentality where you're doing something you absolutely hate, but you know yeah, you've exactly, got to do it. Yeah. It's nothing worse than that. And it's, it's kind of torture. I, I want my listeners for like Paratalk, I want my listeners to get an episode and, and they get a little bit of everything that they want. And I also want everyone that listens to the show to get a, the show that they want. So I know, I understand where you're coming from and it's it's very difficult to to do it sometimes but having a kind of a an idea of where you're going makes life so much easier when you do these shows. If you've got that kind of you know that map in your yeah. head thing I need to do this and go in this direction because yeah you you can end up going in circles and and do it and falling into a trap where you're doing the same thing over and over and you're just getting worse and spiraling yeah. out of yeah. control. I mean, I'm like, luckily like the, the, we were talking earlier and just like to kind of round it all off the, uh, forcing it into, into a format for me helps. I know it can be constrictive to some people, but forcing it into a format where I have, okay, there's an intro, then I do a review of something. Then we have ghost stories. Then I go to Becca's piece, forcing it into that thing and trying to get that into 30 minutes and giving myself those guidelines has worked for me. So for example, today started recording an episode from nothing about half 11 and by two o'clock it was finished edited and getting uploaded. And a lot, that was only because I'd, I'd got those guidelines in place now. Whereas previously it'd be a six yeah. hour endeavor, loads of re-records, loads of me messing stuff up because I just wasn't in it. So I, I would advise any of my listeners to go check out uh, Kevin's podcast because it is oh, a good podcast. You. And if you like this show, you'll like his show. Um, and, uh, I think we've reached the end. Uh, it's great having you on Kevin. I'm sure you'll be oh, back. Thank at some you very point. much. Reeve. No, as I say, I'm a, I'm a, I was a huge fan of your, of, of, uh, the, the previous incarnation of the show. I wasn't even aware that it was still going, as I said, you at the start. So now I've got a bit of a back catalog <laughs> to catch up with. So, um, thank you very much for that. And thank you for having me on. That's all right. You're welcome, Kevin. Anyway, guys, uh, it's end of another show. I'll be back soon. Uh, thanks for listening and I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.